So tonight I just want to talk about kind of a mixture of things, but mostly uh, looking at the New Testament and looking at the Gospels and what provoked some of the believers in the, in the New Testament, and then looking at us now and what is going to provoke us and sustain us in a way, and I'm sp specifically speaking to prayer and missions, like we keep saying it over and over in this crescendo, they are one thing. Prayer movement, the missions movement, they've always been one thing in God's heart. They go together. They're two sides of the same coin. That's what we say in America, if that's a, an expression that translates. Because um, I'm learning, not all of our cute little American expressions translate. We just get these funny looks. And then we have to, but just the same, your Dutch or whatever German, your things don't translate either. So well, I'm learning. So you can stop me. But I just wanted to reiterate one of the things, though, th in saying that, that they're the one movement, one of the things that we emphasize a lot in crescendo, though, is the first commandment. We're heavy. When we teach, we're heavy on teaching about the first commandment, meaning loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't always go heavy on the second commandment, not because it's not valid, just saying our peace and what we feel from the Lord is to strengthen believers' um, zeal, strengthen their desire, strengthen their resolve to love Jesus with all their hearts and to say and to let him love them. Does that make sense? That is one of our things. So when we are going strong and emphasizing the first commandment, that's just what we're doing, but we're not neglecting the second. I love the second commandment. I love the second commandment. I love serving. I love giving. I love the poor. All these, whatever the second commandment looks like to you. Right now, a lot of the second commandment looks like my three kids. That is, that is my husband and my three I am serving all the time, you know, night. And I, I have a night watch going, too. You can join me if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we do a day and night. Anyway, so I just wanted to say that at the, this is the last teaching night of Crescendo. I just wanted to emphasize that. I think that's known and understood, but I don't want to assume that that's understood. We love the missions movement, and again, they are one. They go together, and I think that's something the Lord is, he's braiding back together, and so that we're all on the same team and all cheerlead, and it looks different how we express that, but I just wanted to say that before I jump in because I'm going to go heavy on the first commandment tonight. But in doing that, no, my heart is, this is what is going to sustain us to do the second. I think the church is really sometimes, not in America actually, <laughs> I mean, if you look at all the missionaries, they're usually Korean. I mean, everywhere, I don't know if this you, everywhere I go, there's Korean missionaries. I'm always like, and they're here again. They're just, I love these Koreans. They're just everywhere. But in the, I feel like in the church often the second commandment is talked about, how to love your neighbor, how to bless people, how to serve. So that is why I'm going to go heavy on the first. So I want to look. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke 10. I'm a big Gospels fan. If you don't know what to study, study the Gospels. Life of Jesus is exhilarating, and it's fun. It never gets boring. I keep discovering stuff as the years go on. So Luke 10, verse 38. So Jesus, 
is traveling along with his disciples. It says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. And when I read that, I, I read that with tenderness, not Martha, Martha. I read it as like, oh, Martha, Martha, like with a hunger and a desire that she would know more of him. He says, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary for Mary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. I love this story because this is partly the story of my life. I grew up, um, uh, I'm the youngest of four siblings, and I am by nature a servant. By nature, like just the way the Lord wired me, I am like a nurturer. I want to take care of people. I want to feed people. I want to make them happy. If people come to my house, I'm always trying to like make cookies or do something, especially if it's single guys. So single IHOP guys just come over. We love to make cookies. I just love to serve. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I have <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to leave out the ladies. I have it's usually the guys that come over. I don't know. You're w absolutely welcome. Of course. Any singles. If you need to find a place to date, you can do it at my house. A safe place to date. Okay, let's not digress here. Sec oh, see, got to get, anyways, so by nature, I love to serve. That is like, that's just the way I'm made. I, and, I, and it's good, absolutely good. I love helping people. I love, I just, I feel people so I can tell if they're sad, all those things. So I am definitely more, I'm not, I don't like to label Mary and Martha. That's not what I like to do. It's just that happens to be their names. But I was definitely more the person in my early years at being an IHOP. If for those visitors who don't know, I was a IHOP, I've been an IHOP for 18 years. So almost it, like this, I was moved there when I was in 18, 19, and now I've been there 18 years, so half of my life. I kind of say I grew up at IHOP. So in the beginning years, like serving is, it's what I knew how to do, and I think that's often what we know how to do. We just, we know how to serve, and that's actually part of the way the Lord does it in our journey with him is just serve. If you don't know what to do, you serve. You serve, you find somebody to serve. And this is another dating marriage device, whatever. Somebody once said, if you want to be married, if you're single and you want to be married, you serve married people. If you're married and don't have kids and you want kids, serve those who have kids. Like just, instead of just sitting and aching and longing, go serve somebody and then let the Lord bless you. Like don't, stop thinking about you. I mean, you can pray about it, but he's thinking about you and just serve. So that's like, that was my thing. I was just serving. And I remember uh, I was, uh, I had a little bit of like, you know, substance. Like, it's not like, I, I'm not saying those who just do the second commandment are, are shallow. That wasn't it at all. I was a sincere, I love Jesus. But doing was partly like what kept me going and was a little bit of a lot of my identity. I didn't have that rest unless I was busy. And that's not always healthy. And so I remember I was, um, 
I was a, an assistant to the, the man who led the One Thing conferences, if you've heard of those conferences that we have in Kansas City, and then some of them are in different nations. And so I was his assistant, and we traveled around all over the U.S. and did different conferences. And I ended up, that's where I started speaking, which was very unusual for me and my personality. I don't love being the center of attention at all. It's not my favorite thing. When I usually get done speaking, I am so ready to go back up into that bedroom and just, you know, not be the center of attention again. So I am doing these conferences for a few years, and then I'm, I, I was preaching at them. I, I'm trying to even remember what I preached on, because it was kind of like a long time ago. Um, but it was like, I know I always did Psalm 16, because that was just one of my psalms. Like, I had a friend who said, you just preach what you know. You only preach what you have history in. You can teach things, but when you preach and, you know, you it's better if you're preaching something you have history in. So it was always like Psalm 16, the Lord is my portion, you know, the lines have fallen in pleasant places, all that stuff. So I'd been doing this for a while, and I just remember my mom and the Lord convicting me, going, like, do you, is there more to what you're doing? I was very busy. And I felt like the Lord goes, you could have, you could keep doing this the rest of your life, or you could go deeper with me. You could have more of me. And that's what I ached for. So I actually ended up quitting that, which some people, especially young adults, were like, that's like their dream dr job. You get to travel, you get to meet all the bands, you know, like, I guess it's cool, like delirious and different people. You get to meet all the bands. It's actually not that cool at all actually some of them are but it's not the ones you'd think sometimes <laughs> very impressed by Matt Redman though that man is very godly very humble very impressed by him very impressed by Tim Hughes if you know him anyways but it's not that all that's cracked up to be I just wanted I didn't want to do all this stuff does that make sense we can do all this stuff I was like no I want more of this man and that's partly what's happening in this story is, I mean, even if you just picture it, imagine, and I know Mary and Martha didn't fully understand who's sitting there. It's not like Jesus walks in and Mary has an instantaneous download. She knows that is the son of God, fully divine, sitting right there. But she knew enough. She knew enough and heard enough and the stories of him to sit at his feet and to choose the good part. And this is so hard to do because there's this busyness in us and this drive in us to feel successful at something. And maybe this is just me and I'm just preaching about myself, but I think all of us have this in us where um, it just feels good if we're doing something. And we're and it's it's not wrong. I love cooking for people, like, so it's not wrong that I do that. That's what Martha was doing was setting the table for for Jesus, and that is not wrong. It's the posture of heart from what she's doing it from and where she's finding her identity that the Lord is getting at, and that's just partly what I want to hit on tonight: is are we lovers who work, or are we workers who are like living? buy on little scraps of love. Does that make sense? I, I want to be a worker, but I want to be a lover who's a worker. And Mike Bick always says this, lovers always outwork workers. If we're just a worker, but love is not the main motivator, 
we will get burned out. Every, I, I think all of us could have a story of a burnt out Christian, a burnt out missionary, a burnt out intercessor, anybody that just, and burnout looks different. Burnout can look, they just drew back because it was just too hard or they had an affair or something happened. There's all these things where love grows cold in our hearts and that's, that's not what the Lord wants and that's what the, this story is is emphasizing and I think often also I just want to reiterate sometimes that can happen in the prayer movement because I've been in the prayer room I mean right now I have three kids so I don't picture that I'm in the prayer room 20 hours a week I'm not I'm at home but I'm still in the prayer movement in a way so I have enough history with it after 18 years that sometimes what's happened is even so Martha's position is so um, looked at so poorly and torn down. And then there's beautiful Mary's position. So off sometimes Marth Mary's, sorry, trying to get my thoughts going. Mary's posture of heart is preached about more than the person who's sitting in front of her. Does that make sense? So often we're always like, be a Mary, be a Mary, sit at his feet, listen to his word. But the whole reason that she's doing that is because of who's sitting there. And I've seen people for years do the Mary of Bethany thing, sit, but they actually haven't encountered him because of just, and they've been, they're, get, they're like, I'm just, they're just so good at sitting. I've actually seen one guy, he, he became schizophrenic. So I'm just saying, we can, you can be really good at sitting, at reading the Bible, all that stuff, and still not actually encounter the man. There is that ability, and there is that ability to teach on how to do this and this, but the whole point of it is who was sitting in front of her. The actual word of God was sitting in the flesh in front of her, and she was listening to him. And Honestly, I just think about Jesus' time in the Gospels, how often he just was like, well, the whole time he's looking, going, does anybody have ears to hear what I'm saying? And in that moment, switch who you're thinking about. In that moment, think about what that felt like to, to for him to have Mary just sit. And she is breaking cultural norms again. Like, well, I love these women in the Bible. They're just breaking the normal thing that you're supposed to do. She's sitting and listening to him. I just love that. That And we're often, I think, in our Christianity, we're thinking, what can I do for you, Jesus? And he goes, does somebody want to just listen to me? How many of us love being listened to? It's why I fell in love with my husband. I know I already told you that before, but I'll tell you again. He listens to me and not trying to always like have a comment back he just listens to listen he loves to hear what I'm gonna say and I we forget the Lord is a real person he loves to be listened to and I love to think about in this story like Jesus how did that move your heart and what the ache in his heart he was just looking at Martha going Martha just sit sit a minute sit with him the serving can wait and that's what he's asking of us and I think of that 
that ache and that choice, I love that he's, it says in this passage that he says, t- when Jesus is talking to Martha, he says, Mary has chosen the good part and it will never be taken from her. I want that. The good part is not that, again, it's not her position. The good part is him. He's the good part. He's the good part. We can serve and serve and serve. And some of it is good. And some of it, honestly, I think sometimes we just serve because that's where our identity is. And it might be a little bit of wood, hay, and stubble at the in that day when he comes. If we've read those, don't ask me the reference. I already told you that. Like, somebody else here knows the reference. And my husband, <laughs> my husband the other night goes, you always say Romans, and it's not Romans, babe. Not that one, but uh, other references. I'm like, I think it's in Romans. And he goes, you always say that. He goes, it's not. And he loves me. I'm like, but I know my Bible. I just don't know my verses. And that's okay. The verses weren't in there in the beginning anyways. <laughs> I win. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> The words were in the beginning, so I know the words. It's okay if I don't know the chapter and verse every time. I have my chapter and verses written down today. I mean, I did before, but if I'm quoting one that's not written down, it's a little messy. Anyways, I think sometimes, too, part of the thing that w- the drive we feel in us is, like, it has to get done. What if somebody else doesn't do it? And that's what Martha's feeling, and, and she's feeling alone in doing it. But you're never going to miss out by sitting and listening to Jesus. One time I was thinking about this, and the Lord told me, he said, one thing is full of all things. Sitting and choosing the one thing needed is actually full of everything because he's the man who's the, hid the treasures of, hi in hidden in him are tre- the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians, just so you know. <laughs> Don't ask me the numbers. But he is, that is like, it's instead of it, I just love it because instead of having like, where do I focus everything on? You can actually focus on one thing. And from that one place, get clarity on how to move forward, what to do with your life, where to serve. And I think sometimes we're so frantic doing the other things. And that's what he's telling Martha. Like, you don't have to worry about all that. All that will make sense if you just sit sit with me I have things he had even now he has things he wants to talk to people about he wants friends God he wants friends not just workers if he wanted workers he would have just made all angels angels that they love it that's what they do they're workers they are not made with our capacity of friendship we are made in his image meaning we're made to be ones who are uh, supposed to be in relationship with him. Yes, we are going to work. I hope I work hard until the day I see his face or the day I die. But I want to love him well and be his friend and do it out of friendship, not just out of duty, if that makes sense. And that's what the Lord's inviting her into is that friendship and that desire and that love and intimacy And it's interesting because after Luke 10, and I I think we know this, but the three times that, and if you, you'll get used to the way I speak, I start a sentence and I don't finish it, okay? And then I do another thought. I'll do, I'll try not to do that because I know it's hard when you're translating in your head sometimes. 
but that's just how I talk. My husband's always like, you didn't finish. I'm like, I know because I have to do this first and then I'll finish that sentence. Anyways, I'm just letting you into how my brain works. The three times you see Mary of Bethany in the scripture, she's always at Jesus's feet. I just like that just because it's good. She always has that posture of honor and love, the fear of the Lord, and she just knows, even if she doesn't understand, she knows this is the one. He's the rabbi. We sit at his feet. He's the Messiah. So after we see her in Luke 10, we see her again in Matthew 26, 6 through 13. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want. This is the story where she anoints Jesus. Matthew 26 is a long chapter. Okay. Matthew 26, 6 through 13. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and a woman, Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I love Love this story. And just to uh, give you a little bit of the timeline of this before the cross. So uh, they're in Bethany. This is actually t believed to be um, I think Saturday night, the night after the Sabbath, if, if I remember right. So during the, the Passion Week, the week where Jesus is in Jerusalem, he never stayed the night in Jerusalem. He always went back to Bethany. It's very, unless it's the night he was actually captured and imprisoned and beaten. That night he did. But every night it says, and then he returned to Bethany. Why? Because I think that's where his friends were. That's where he was, his home. He was, you know, I, I just love that part. So anyways, it's before the cross, I think it's about, yeah. And she comes in, and we, you, we know this story, but I just want to emphasize a few um, points before we move on to the next part. And also, in this is a, um, and I think I found it. It's right there. Um, in this is just a theory that when Jesus, when Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet in Luke 10, it could have possibly been the Feast of Tabernacles. And so if anybody knows about the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the time when they set up temporary booths outside of their house and they relived some of the wilderness times. And they also um, looked for the day that the Lord would come again. They're like long, like they're doing the temporary dwelling, longing for the eternal dwelling. So it's just interesting that that could have been what he was uh, 
like he Mary and Jesus could have been sitting in one of those booths and Martha was running around getting all the preparations ready. I just like anything that helps me make the context feel more real and understandable. And that's also why maybe the disciples weren't there because you don't hear in Luke 10, you don't hear the disciples, which is very curious. They might have probably would have been in Jerusalem, like getting all the preparations for that feast, etc. Anyways, I just often wonder if what they talked about was, did Jesus tell her about the cross? Did she know what was coming? Because in Matthew 26, he said, she did this for my burial. Now, he doesn't say she knew she, she did it for his burial, but what if she did? What if she had ears to hear? Because all along in the Gospels, especially there's this chunk in Luke 9, 51, I think, to Luke 18, I can't remember the exact verse, where all of that portion is unique to Luke. It's the, like there's a whole nine chapters where it, all that stuff, you, oh Luke only gives you all that stuff. And it's the part where Jesus keeps setting his face to Jerusalem and he keeps saying, let this sink down into your ears. I am going to suffer and die. And they would, they never, it never sunk down into their ears. So I'm just curious, did it sink into Mary's? Did he tell Mary? And that that's why she came and anointed him before the Passover because she knew it was going to happen. I don't know. I just like to think about these things. I like to think about what was she hearing. So the controversy in this scene is why, why the waste? Why the waste? And I think of it. I have been in the prayer movement for 18 years. I have heard this argument. Why the waste of your time? Why the waste of sitting for so long? Why the waste of, I could have been a, a nurse or a doctor. Why the waste of different men and women I've known who've given up their salaries of amazing jobs and going, I just want to sit and pray. Why the waste? And I love Jesus' vindication and him saying, the poor you have with you always, but you do not have me. I'm not dissing the poor. He's not dissing the poor. He's just putting himself in priority. And that's just what I'm wanting to do is the priority in all that we do is him. It's never a waste. Why? We don't know who he is. If we'd ever say it's a waste, we don't know him. He's God. In the flesh, the only reason you're ever going to live forever is because of him. The only reason you have breath in your lungs right now is because he's upholding you and sustaining you. He is life. The very substance of life is in him. He's the word of God. I mean, I could go on and on. It's never a waste to be extravagant with our time our money, anything. And honestly, that's actually what the poor need to see. They need to see the riches of Christ, not the riches of wealthy churches who can fill their belly. I am not trying to be offensive. But we can give the poor food all the time, but we need to give him the riches of who he is and eternal life. I don't want to just satisfy people temporarily. I want to satisfy them eternally. And I am only going to be satisfied myself if it's this man. And it's, again, it's never a waste. I remember I was in this 
um, season one time, a unique season with the Lord, and he told me to uh, fast time and people. So it wasn't so much about food. He was just like, because you can still be busy and do food. Does that make sense? You can still just like keep it all going because then it, the time passes quicker because you're starving. So I still ate a little bit, but this is just to help you if you want to do a fast like this. I ate the same thing for breakfast, the same thing for lunch, the same thing for dinner. Just enough to fuel my body. Enough carbs, vegetables, protein. It's awful. And you just don't put seasoning in it. So it's just blah, like blah oatmeal or porridge, as you would say. And then lentils and brown rice, just boring food. But it works because then at least you have some brain power, you know, and your stomach's not screaming at you the whole time. So anyways, I do this fast. And it seems like, what are you doing? You know, like I could be doing a lot of things. Even it's not any, so most of the time, it's not that anybody's saying it. It's we're saying it. And the accuser's saying it. There's always this barrage of accusations swirling in on our head. Like, uh, I think it's Henry Nowen, if you've read him, he always says it's like you go to sit down and, and pray, and then all of a sudden your mind is like monkeys in a banana tree. It's just, you. it goes nuts. And you felt pretty calm before you decided to actually sit down. So I'm sitting in my room. I have multiple things going on. I have this friend who I haven't seen in years, and he's not doing so well with the Lord. He's almost, he, I think he was like an Olympic snowboarder almost or something. He's in town. He's texting. But I know I'm not supposed to be texting like on my phone. I'm just supposed to, I'm just distracted by that. Then I'm distracted because I have a friend who's going through the pain of a of a rape, a date rape. I have all, so I have all this traffic and I'm thinking I should be there for my friend. And the Lord just stops me. He goes, they don't need you. I was like, well, that put me in my place. Thank you. Like we all, we feel that ache, but they need me. No, they don't. And, and he goes, they need God in you, Jess. And there's not a, like at this point, there's not enough. That I needed more of him. And sometimes there's those seasons. I've had seasons where it's a season to sit and receive more. And then I've had seasons where he goes, what are you doing? Go, get out of here. Like, go run and serve the people. And I'm like, okay, but I just got used to sitting. It's totally, I already did Song of Solomon last week, but it's totally Song of Solomon. But all that to say, it's never a waste to sit. Never, especially when he calls us to sit. But there's so much traffic, even it especially in our brain and in our culture, pulling us, saying, but you'd be more fruitful if you would serve. It would be more fruitful if you do this. And yes, I, I'm saying this over, I want to serve and give and love, but I want to do it from love especially in the culture that we live in, what we're surrounded by even this week, what do they need? Not a bottle of water. I mean, that's great. I'm not saying somebody's doing that. I don't know. They need a smile. Yes, what do they need? They need that compassion of Christ that breaks yokes. Do you have that? Because I don't have that enough. That compassion when he looked people in the eyes with his tender, jealous mercy and it broke whatever spirit had them bound do you know what i'm saying i want that part of him 
That's where it comes from intimacy with him, from sitting at his feet. Sometimes that means, um, for me, that means a minute because I'm a mom with three boys. So right now, I'm just pulling on comp straight, like I call it audacious, like just the audacity to believe he likes me right now. I just have to do it when I'm grumpy, when I'm tired, when my baby's screaming. I just have to go, you love me. I am beautiful to you, and I am angry right now. That's my intimacy right now. I don't get the long hours anymore. I may get them maybe, maybe in 10 years, you know, when I'm all gray from my boys, and if there's more, <laughs> Lord help me. <laughs> I love my boys, but if you've seen them, you'll know. Like, then they're boys. Okay, so just, I, I need to move on so that I have time enough to hit the other scriptures. But you see my point. And you see the Lord's, I want us to turn it, uh, keep thinking of his perspective too. How that would have blessed him. Even on the cross. What if he's on the cross? He's up there suffering, but he closes his eyes and he breathes in through his nose and he smells that perfume again and he goes oh but I smell like like my friend she gave me all she had what it I mean I'm sure in that could have happened I like the dream of our heart is impact 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 yes but what if you can impact him what if that's the primary dream of your heart is, can I move that man's heart? The point is, we just don't know how much we actually do in our weakness. But that I want that to be the dream of my heart. And from there, you will impact so many people. That's why Heidi Baker impacts so many people. Because she knows who she is, and she knows how to move that man's heart with great confidence. It's that confidence that we want. And I just want to look at one more verse in the Gospels. Well, we're going to mostly stay in the Gospels, but I want to look in John 20. This is one of my favorite stories. Just of somebody who <coughs> wanted Jesus. So this is Mary Magdalene. So John 20, 11 through 18. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped, stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus, in some translations, it says she thought he was the gardener. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Oh, it does say it right here later. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. And Jesus said, Mary, it's like, it's me. But imagine he's dead. She was one of the Marys that was at the cross. There's only a few. There, the disciples weren't there except for John. John was the one there. The Marys were there. Marys meaning like his mother, Mary Magdalene. Not Ma it doesn't say Mary of Bethany. But imagine he's dead, but still it's not enough. She wants his body. She wants to touch him. She wants to be as close as possible. 
But imagine she's the first one who gets to talk to him. And she's the first one. And he, I, I just love it when he asks, whom are you seeking? It's like the same question in the Garden of Eden where he goes, where are you? Why did you run from me? And now he has one who's searching and searching for him. Imagine how that moves his heart. God wants to be wanted. He wants to be desired and searched for. And I look at Mary Magdalene and I go, wow, I want to be, I want, I'm like, there's a few people in the Bible I want to be. I want to be her in this scene so bad. And I want to be Simeon who just walks up to Mary and grabs baby Jesus. I'm like, I just want to hold him. Like, I'm like, I'm going to meet Simeon one day and be like, so you held him, huh? Like, he got a hold him when he was a little baby. I just, that's like the dream of my life, those two scenes. But think about how that moved him. And even Jesus in this scene, he says to her, um, which if you know any um, Jewish customs, he says, Mary, don't cling to me. Oh, stop clinging to me for I have not ascended to the Father. And then he says, but go tell my brethren. This is actually the morning of the Feast of First Fruits. And at the same time that Mary encounters Jesus and he's saying, don't cling to me, there's a priest walking up the temple steps and he's holding the first fruits in his hands. And he literally would look at the people and say, don't cling to me because I have not ascended or don't touch me. Like it, I just stuff like that's just crazy. Jesus literally fulfills even some of those Jewish beautiful customs. Anyways, so there's that. I just wanted to give us another picture of that ache and that seeking of God and desiring to be here with, with, with him, which doesn't make sense. I mean, imagine being somebody on the outside going, he died, like leave it alone already. And still she's going, if you would have tasted him and seen him the way I did, because she's saying he's my Lord the one who forgave me. Remember, she's the one, possibly, that got so delivered. And it's going, so can anybody else set anybody else free the way he just did and make my heart feel alive and free of shame and free of all that oppression? If the, It's like what it says, those who have been forgiven much love much. She loved much. And in this time, I think that is what the Lord is doing in the church is saying uh, he desires those who love him much not just work much for him he loves that we desire to serve him but primarily he's saying I want those who love me with all their heart soul mind and strength and that's the ache of his heart and in Matthew 9 it says this is the real point of the whole thing Matthew 9 15 with the some of the disciples of John came to Jesus and they said, why do you and the Philistines fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away and then they will fast. And I think in that is also the conclusion and that then they will mourn when he's taken away. And right now we live in this very strange period of history of a 2000 year delay. We don't feel that ache that the disciples and Mary, we don't feel that ache that they felt because it would be like um, some one of your dearest friends who's here and now they're gone. 
and you know that they're coming back, but you don't know when. You don't stop aching. And it, it's even more so, it's the picture of you're engaged and you have no idea when your wedding day is. That's really our story. Revelation 19 says, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is what that man is waiting for. He's waiting for his wedding day. And there is that zeal burning in his heart, and he's looking down going, who else is longing for that day the way that I'm longing for that day? And even when in our serving, in our evangelizing, we're bringing them into that wedding. That's what we're doing. But when we do it in the reality that we know we're the bride, and we know who he is, and we know the beauty, and we stand in confidence, I think that's so much more appealing to the lost. They don't need a resort heaven. They need Jesus, the most beautiful man. No, an unregenerate soul would hate heaven. Like, we just think people would love if you just sell them on heaven. No more tears, whatever. I'm like, no, they'd actually hate it because the only good thing about heaven is God. God is what makes all of heaven alive and happy. It's not just this great place or city, you know. And that is what he's looking for. And that, I think, honestly, that is what's going to anchor us for the days ahead. I, I've, like I said, I've been in the prayer movement for 18 years. It feels like I've seen different waves where waves of intercessors will come in and they will anchor their hope on something happening, a revival. Or they'll anchor their hope on abortion ending. And they rally, rally, rally until the end of whatever few years, and then they grow weary. In the Bible, biblically, in First Peter, it says our hope is to be anchored in his coming. There's, like, I like to think of it as there's a capital H hope, and there's little h hopes. All of my capital H hope is anchored in his appearing. That is what is going to sustain my heart and then all the hope the little h hopes are these great blessings like i hope i have a little baby girl that's a little h hope eric thinks i'm gonna have two because we all know we're copying the tendons because why wouldn't you you know <laughs> i'm just not as good at the jokes sorry i'm still learning he's going to mentor me we're gonna have online joke coaching just kidding anyways that is where our hope is to be anchored in his appearing and that de desire. And it doesn't matter, honestly, it doesn't matter if we've seen him the way the disciples have or not. We have the indwelling spirit. We have the fullness of God in us. We have the ability to know him with joy. It was it say full of glory and joy inexpressible. I have not felt that joy inexpressible enough. I want that to where it's like I know him. That's in 1 Peter. But in 1 Peter 2, it, always, it also says Peter's talking to the, he's writing his letter, and he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. I want that to be said of me. And there's different verses where it says, I think it's in some part in Timothy, it says, but to you he's precious. He's so precious. He's not just a God we serve. He's just not the Lord of the armies. He's our life, and he's precious and beautiful. He's our bridegroom. He's the one we're, we're waiting for. And I think in our church culture sometimes, which I love, 
Aaron Aaron came from this type of a, a church that was, I call it like the bouncy happy churches. Like worship is just, and I love that. Like tonight was that. That's absolutely biblical. I love it. But something that one of the parts of the gospel too is the longing, and the mourning, and the waiting for him to return. And that part is not always given. Like that's not always presented. Usually it's the joy of our salvation, which is true, all of this thing. But our salvation is a person who the consummation of all things is not going to happen until that man comes back and the marriage supper of the lamb happens. And we are the bride, which means we're betrothed to, that's, we're betrothed to him. My marriage right now, and I love my marriage, it's the teeniest, teeniest dim reflection of a true wedding someday that we will all be married. We're all the sons of God. Just like women, we're sons of God. But just like men, we're, you're all the bride of Christ. It's just how it is. And that's what burns on his heart. And I want to partner with what burns on his heart. And that really is what will sustain us. And it says in, um, I didn't write this one down. I think it's in John. This hope is what actually purifies us. It keeps us pure. You want to live a holy, pure life? Set your hope on his appearing, and that's actually what's going to provoke you to live pure and spotless and blameless before his eyes, if that makes sense. So I just want to say it again. Longing is a part of love. It would not make sense if you got engaged, and then all of a sudden your bridegroom or your the woman left, and you were like, okay, sweet. I have no idea when they're coming back, but I'm good. I'm totally good. I'm great. Like, I'm just happy living life. Everything's great. And they left you with this gift. Actually, in Jewish betrothal, he would literally leave her with a gift to remember him by, which is what Jesus did with the Holy Spirit. Like, in Jewish betrothal, they'd get betrothed, and he would say, here's a gift to remember me until I come. Because she, sometimes they wouldn't see each other for during that betrothal time. But it wouldn't make sense if we, that person didn't ache and long. We're actually called to ache and long. It's part of love. It's just the uncomfortable part of love that we don't like. But it actually, I've never felt more alive than when I'm connected with the fact that I miss him and I want him to come home. And I tell, that's what I want to give my little kids. I tell my little son, David, I go, we need Jesus to come home. And he's just said it before. Like, he just needs to come home. And I'm like, amen. If a four-year-old can get that, like, things are not okay. Yes, there will be so many wonderful things that happen until he comes. So many actually hard things will happen until he comes. And I love all the beautiful blessings. I love all the spiritual blessings. I love that we can taste of the age to come. Like it says in Hebrews 6. You can quote me on that one. But... We can long and ache for him, and that is part of loving him well. And he's looking for friends who are actually willing to feel that kind of love and partnership with him and then bring others into it. I honestly think it's a great gospel presentation to a lost person to tell them this story and to say, do you want to be one of those brides? Do you want to be that he created you for this love and this intimacy. You were created to be loved so purely and wholly. Don't you want to wait for that wedding with me?
That's why it doesn't make sense. We're not going to look like the world. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to look foolish. We're not supposed to look like them. We need to stop trying to be attractive to the world. We really just need to stop. The most attractive thing about us is him. And the longing and that aching. And like I said, I wish that that could be what I give the lost, my kids. Uh, well, my kids are the lost. They're not saved. You can pray for my kids. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but my four-year-old, man, he needs to get saved. But the riches and the beauty of Jesus is what we need to get them. Give them. And not just the verses. Like actual verses. Like you can hear it when somebody talks and you're like, there's life behind that verse. There's substance. That's why I moved to Kansas City when I was 18 because I saw people singing and I went, they look like they actually know somebody. I've been saved when I was four. I just know how to sing the songs. I don't know if I know somebody and ache for him to return and ache and love him. And like I said before, he waits, waits to be wanted. It says in the Chronicles, he, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, looking for hearts that are loyal. He's just looking for ones who he goes, that one's mine, that one's mine. And it moves him so deeply because it says in the Matthew, when there's all the events happening before he comes, he says, but the love of many will grow cold. Why? Not because they didn't know their Bible. It's because they didn't know him. Like we can serve again, like you can serve, you can do Christianity, but if you're not doing it out of just love for him, there is that risk that your love could grow cold. And I mean, I don't know about you. I don't want that. I want that love that burns so bright no matter what happens. And we see that. We see the, um, I mean, I've said this before, like if you s look at Paul and Peter and James and you go, what? kept them so confident and zealous and fiery and doing missions so well. He, Jesus, that's it. All they wanted was that man. That's what kept them. And we have the ability to encounter him and to taste and see him in a different way, but in a way that we can have real history with God. Sorry, I'm trying to find a verse. Good thing whoever did the Bible put all the T's together. Did you know that trick? Anyways, so that's the Lord's heart, that we would ache for him and long for the bridegroom to return and cry out. That's why the book of Revelation ends with Revelation twenty two seventeen saying, and the spirit and the bride say, come. After all, if you were the read the book of Revelation, it's a lot to digest. What's the response at the end? Just come, Lord Jesus, come. We miss you. We like to sing in Kansas City. We miss you, Jesus, and we want you to return. We are lovesick, Jesus, and we want you to return. I love Titus 2.13. It says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. If somebody asks me, where is your hope? I hope the response that I say is, it's on the glorious appearing of my sweet Jesus Christ. All of my hope is on that he will come. As he, just as he ascended, he will descend. That's why the angel said, do not fear. Go do your thing. He will descend. 
all of our hope can be placed there and we can be his friends that's my whoever is the the keyboard or guitar player can come up now if there is okay thank you that's what he longs for i just feel the lord's ache saying will you be my friend will you be one who sits with me who listens to my word and who longs for me that we would be ones who long for the bridegroom to return. I really think that's going to be one of the main things that sustains the prayer in the missions movement. It's, it's not only going to be like revival or the greatest new thing or all this, yes, the souls being saved, but the thing that provoked all the apostles was his return. They, were, they had their hope anchored out there. It's been 2,000 years so it's just like we're reorienting ourselves again around the Gospels and around this man. You can go ahead and play around this man. And that's what the Lord wants to do. I think he even wants to give some of us the uh, freshness and the joy of finding him again in the Gospels, of encountering the person of who he is. And again, I just want to reiterate, Think about his emotions. Like, how can I move your heart tonight? Lord, I want to ache for you like Mary of Mag Magdalene did. I want to long to sit at your feet like Mary of Bethany. I want to give you all extravagantly what people say is wasteful. I want to give it to you. I want you to be the reason I serve and love. I want the first commandment to be first. And it's not about works. It's not about how many hours you pray. It's really about your heart posture before him. Just saying, I want to be your hands and feet, but I have to have your heart. I feel like even the compassion I mentioned, he wants to encounter some of us with that, the depths of his compassion over the poor over the lost, over the hurting. I don't think we know how much he weeps even now. And when we, uh, the, this friend, I just remembered this friend years ago, she had this vision, this really, it was an encounter, this dream where she's in this, ha the Lord's house. She's in this huge house and the Lord's taking her through different rooms. And she's in this room and he called it the intimacy room, the place where he met and communed with his people and in the corner was this rough little wooden doorway and it was not pretty and it was really low like a small little door and she goes I want to go in that door and he goes that's only for my special friends and she goes no I want to go in there so she pushed him and he took him in there and all it was was a room with a chair he goes it's called the weeping room and he said I sit here often I spend a lot of my time, but the only way to get into the weeping room was through the intimacy room. And in the weeping room, he literally just wept over the nations. He weeps over the poor. He weeps over the orphans. He weeps over the women and the children. He weeps over the sick. And I think sometimes we want to be in that room, but the only way to get, well, we don't all want to weep, but we want to do and touch that part of him. But the only way to do that is through intimacy. Otherwise, it'll crush us. 
We can't see the travesty that's in the earth unless his love sustains us. It will break us. I have a friend who worked in Thailand in the red light district. It will break you. It didn't break her, but she was wise. But it can break you because there's so much darkness. But his love and, and his intimacy and then just him is enough. And that's what he wants to give us tonight. So if you would like prayer, you can stand, you can sit, you can come forward. I'm whatever. I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we, Lord, we want to know you. Lord, I, I want our, let our hearts ache like Mary Magdalene, ache and long for you, even with that foolishness where I'm sure people were like, he's dead, he's in the tomb, what are you doing, Mary? But there's that achiness that just says, I must have him. I must have this man. And we know you because you're our life. You're the only reason we have breath. The only reason we have hope of a resurrection is because of you, Jesus. But we want to know you and touch you. We want to feel how real you are. We don't want to just serve a king, a great and noble king. But we want to know you as the man, our brother. We want to be your friend like you invited your disciples. You, you said, you're my friends. And you told them things that you would tell your friends. We want to be your friends until you come back. Would you find these ones all over Europe? who are loyal, who are hearts are burning, whose love is not growing cold, it's just getting stronger, and they're saying, I'm making myself ready for that marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm longing for the day when I will stand before him pure and spotless. That's the ache and the dream of our hearts, and whatever happens in between is beautiful, but that is where we are setting our hope. Jesus, would we be ones who move your heart? I want to move your heart with my mourning and my longing for you to return. I ask for encounter tonight. Would you encounter our hearts with who you are? We could say like Timothy, that he's so precious. We want to talk about you like you're real because you are and when we touch others would they be able to say I touched God in that person that person didn't just give me a good gospel presentation they gave me God I felt him Lord we ask for your presence would your presence always go with us we need you Jesus we must know you we have nothing outside of you nothing we have nothing you are only good Jesus as for grace to long for you grace to love you grace to wait for you grace to sit and listen what do you have to say to us Jesus would you find friends tonight I ask